What would you paint? If you were given a canvas to, to paint, what would you paint? I'll tell you what I would paint. I would paint a picture full of pride and, and self-interest. A, a picture that seeks to, to compete in rivalry rather than work with people. I'd paint a heart that does not celebrate the success of others unless that success has been achieved by it. But most importantly, the biggest, most prominent feature of this picture is that I'll paint a heart that is at war with Christ. A heart that is at war with Christ. And the reason this unity is being at war, is, is warring with Christ, is because Christ desires that his church be united. And we saw last week when we looked at his prayer in John chapter 17, uh, when he prayed to the Father, he, he prayed earnestly that his disciples would be united, saying that they may be one. They may be united in the same way that he says, you and I, Father, are united. He says that they may be perfectly one. His, his desire is that we may be united and, and our unity will be a unity that is, that is uh, uh, compared to the unity of the, of the Father and the Son, the, the Trinitarian unity. And so, when you as an individual, when I as an individual as well, sow seeds of discord, seeds of disunity, it is as if I'm communicating to Christ, I'm saying to Christ, I have no regard or reverence for what you desire. I don't care about your desire for the unity of the church. I will not share your heart for the church. I will seek to elevate myself. To do that is to be a bad testimony for the transforming power of Christ through the gospel in your life. To, to want to divide the church over selfishness, over rivalry, over conceit, is to say to Christ, I don't care what your desire is for the church. I will look out for number one. And number one is me. So Paul calls the church here to emulate the humility of Christ in their pursuit for unity, to imitate Christ as a community in, 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 in terms of, 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 of being united. So in verses one to four, we find the exhortation. Paul is exhorting the church. When you look at his exhortation, he's saying to them, um, He's saying to them, be of the same mind, have the same love, be in full accord. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. He is giving them an exhortation of what they are to do. And again, he goes on in, chapter, in, in, in verses 5 to 11. Now he gives an illustration of what that looks like. And, and the illustration he gives is the perfect illustration because he illustrates it with Christ. In verse 5, he says, This is how unity is to be achieved among you as the church 
have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He says, have this mind. Cultivate this mind. Paul calls them to have the mind of Christ. And, and when he says the mind of Christ, he's talking about the attitude that Christ exhibited in his life. The attitude that Christ displayed in his life. And a, a lot of times we, we do possess a mind. But the mind that we possess most of the time is not the mind of Christ. It, it is the mind that is shaped by the world. It is the mind that is conformed to the pattern of the world. A, a mind that has been shaped by uh, the world that says you must look out for self. You must be self-centered. A, a, a world that tells you to be selfish. A world that tells you to be uh, self-focused. We, we usually absorb the philosophy of the world because the, the, the philosophy of the world says the most important person in your life is you. That's what the philosophy of the world says. The world says, look out for number one. Look out for yourself. Don't care about what other people say. It, it says that, right? As Christians, we do care. You must care about what is my attitude doing to the unity of the church? How am I promoting the unity in the church? So, Instead of having the mind of the world, the Bible calls us to have the mind of Christ. It tells us a different story. It says, have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ, as we look at the scriptures, is to be focused on others, right? To be focused on serving others. And Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. So in other words, when he says, which is yours in Christ, in other words, Paul is saying this is to be expected of every Christian. If you say, I am of Christ, if you say, I've committed my life to following Christ, I have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, my sin has been forgiven, I, 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 I am now a new person in Christ, I'm a new creature, the old things have passed away, behold, the new has come. That is my identity. Paul is saying the mind of Christ must be in you. You cannot say I'm a Christian and not have the mind of Christ and be shaped by the world in your thinking. Paul holds up Jesus Christ as the perfect example of unity, which prom uh, as, a, as a perfect example of, of humility, which promotes unity in the church. So I want us to see four things that characterize the mind of Christ. Four things that characterize the mind of Christ. First, a selfless mind. Secondly, a serving mind. Thirdly, a sacrificial mind. And fourthly, a mind focused on the glory of God. Let us look at them in detail. Firstly, a selfless mind. Look at verse 6. Paul says in verse 5, Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, he says, who, though he, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. It is clear as you look at the passage that Christ was, as you look at this passage that Christ was thinking about others. He was not thinking about himself. 
we, we find this in Paul's description of the attitude of Christ. He says, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. First, Paul points us to the deity of Christ. The deity of Christ means that Christ is God. That word deity means divine. So he points us to the divinity or to the godness of God. If we are to, to use that word, thank you. He says Christ was in the form of God. He was in the form of God. When Paul uses the term form of God, he, he does not have in mind shape or, or size. We know that God is spirit, right? Paul does not have in mind shape or size, but the word form, it means outward expression of an inward reality. He had an outward expression of an inward reality. In reference to the existence of Christ, this means that before, during, and after his incarnation, his incarnation means the birth of Christ, after his incarnation, Jesus, by his very nature, was fully and eternally God. Do we get that? Jesus, Paul wants to point us to this fact. He says, look at the example of Jesus. First of all, Jesus was God. He was in the form of God. He was God. He was fully God. And, and I, I love this word. When you, look at, when you look at what he says here, he says he was. The, the, the word was here translates a present active participle of, of a verb made of two words. The word is under and, and beginning, which, is, which gives us the idea of the continuance of a previous state of existence. So, so when Christ took on humanity upon him, he continued still being God, right? We, we call this, um, theologians call this the, the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union talks about, don't be afraid, I know this term is, might, be, might be a big term, but it, it means that Christ is fully God and he is fully man. You don't have to remember that term, you don't have to remember the term, but remember the, the concept, that the concept is that Christ is fully God and he is fully man, Right? That means nothing of his godness, I know there's no such word, nothing of his godness was taken away from him when he became man. So Paul wants to, to point us to the humility of God. In other words, he did not lose anything. He continued in the existence of God. John MacArthur explains that the idea is that before the incarnation, from, from all eternity past, Jesus pre-existed in the divine form of God, equal with God the Father in every way. But by his very nature and innate being, Jesus Christ is, always has been, and will forever be fully divine. And the scripture testifies of this very truth, Right? The, the scripture testifies of the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord, is God. When you look at John chapter 1, verse 1 to, to 4, it talks about the Word. It says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was what? God. And, and you continue to look at that passage. It, it shows that, that, he, that he created everything. He is the creator and not the created. He is the one who created. He, he is himself the creator. And nothing that was created was created outside of him. Again, when you look at Colossians chapter 
1 verse 19, Paul says about Christ, in him the fullness of, of, of God was pleased to dwell. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, the author says this. He says, Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The, the, the testimony of scripture proves beyond a reasonable doubt that Christ is indeed God. This means that as God, listen to this, Christ had no need. He did not have any need. He, he lacked nothing. He had all the glory and praise in heaven. And he reigned with the Father and the Holy Spirit over all the universe. Have that in mind and think about Paul's point. The next point that Paul is going to make. Listen to what Paul says. He says, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Even though he was in the form of God, even though he was God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And other translations translate this by saying he did not count equality with God as something to selfishly hold on to. He, he knew that in order to save the world, he, he would have to leave the comforts of heaven and walk the streets of man. Think about this. Jesus left the comforts of heaven to save man, to walk the streets of man. He, his attitude was that of a concern for others. Selfless attitude. And, and this is the mind, that, that, the mind of Christ that Paul calls the Philippians to have. And, and by extension, this is the mind he calls us Christians to have. A mind that says, I, I cannot keep my privileges for myself, right? I, I must use them for others. And to do this, I will gladly lay them aside and, and pay whatever price is necessary to serve others. Christ was not forced to come down. There was nothing that was compelling him. But he selflessly came down. Christ, who was not created, had a selfless mind. Us who were created usually display a prideful mind, as if we have created ourselves. Paul calls us to have a selfless mind. Warren Wesby says this. He says, we expect unsaved people to be selfish and, and grasping. But we do not expect this of Christians who have experienced the love of Christ and the fellowship of the Spirit. More than 20 times in the, in the New Testament, God calls us to live with one another. We are to prefer one another, Romans 12, verse 10. We are to edify one another, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. To bear each other's burdens, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. We should not judge one another, Romans chapter 14, verse 13. But rather we should admonish one another, Romans 15, verse 14. And when you look at this, the word other is the key, right? Focusing on the other thinking about the other. This should be, the word other should be in the vocabulary of, the, of every Christian. 
This should be a, a word that we use a lot of times. And not only is he calling us to, to have a selfless mind, but the second um, characteristic of, of someone who has the mind of Christ is a, is a serving mind. Look at verse 7, a serving mind, a serving mind. Verse 7 says about Christ, but he made himself nothing. Other translation says he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of, of man. The, the, the focus of Jesus Christ on others was that of serving. He focused on others for the purpose of serving them. Paul shows how he did this. He says, first, he, he made himself nothing. He, he emptied himself. The, the King James renders it more clearly. It says, he made himself of no reputation. Christ made himself of no reputation. So the emptying or the making of himself nothing is not with reference to his divine attributes, such as attributes of all power, of all knowledge, and all presence. He, he continued to be God, as we have noted. He continued to be God even in his incarnation. And we see that clearly when, when Philip asked Jesus in, in, in John chapter 14. He says, show us the Father, right? And Jesus responds to, 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 to Philip with a question. He says to him in John chapter 14 verse 9, have I, been, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So Jesus continued to be God, continued to, to, to embody, to, 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 to be fully God in, 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 in his nature. Jesus never lost his deity. If, if we want to use that phrase, the, the idea is that he emptied himself of the outward manifestation of his divine nature. So Jesus chose to empty himself so that he can, serve, he can serve humanity, he can serve God. Paul shows us how he emptied himself here. He says he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. So Jesus Christ took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. In, in taking the form of a servant and, and being born in the likeness of likeness of man, Christ was serving two ultimate um, purposes. First, he became man or a servant um, for, for, for the, and, and this was the means through which God the Father might express himself to the world. So, so Christ became man so that God the Father can express himself to the world. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that no man can see God and live, right? That's what we see, the testimony of Scripture in the, New, in the, in the Old Testament. No man can see God and live. So Christ, Jesus Christ, in his incarnation, in him taking, the, in, in him taking flesh on, uh, communicates the nature of God to the world. John chapter 1 verse 18 says this. It says, no, no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. The only God, is talking about Christ here, the only God who is at the right 
who is at the Father's side has made him known. You see that? Christ was serving the purpose of making God known. We would not have known God except it be for Christ coming. Right? We are looking for the day when we, we will see him face to face. We will be looking into the face of Christ. Face to face. So Christ, in his incarnation, communicates God to us. He makes the Father known. And the second purpose, the second ultimate purpose Christ serves by becoming man is, is I, I call it the Trinitarian redemptive purpose. In, in other words, the, 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 the Trinity has a purpose to, to, to redeem humanity. The Father calls, right? The, 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 the purpose of the Father is to call before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 3 and 4. He calls before the foundation of the world. The, the Son redeems through his death. And the Holy Spirit regenerates. He, he makes us alive. He makes us receive the gospel. He convicts us. And he, he opens our eyes to the truth. Right? So Christ comes to serve this Trinitarian redemptive purpose of God. By bringing us to God. This is expressed in Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 to 18. Look at what it says. Listen to what it says. It says, since therefore... The children share in flesh and blood. He himself, talking about Jesus Christ, likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those through, through fear of death who are subject to, to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He had to become fully man like his brothers so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You see that? He had to serve that purpose of God. By becoming man. In other words, when we look at this, when Paul presents this to us, Paul is saying, look at Christ. He was not concerned with his own interests. He was not fighting for his rights and saying, I must be served. When you look at the Gospels, the, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what do we see Christ doing? We see him coming to do what? To serve rather than be served, right? The sick were brought to him. Right? He, he went and, 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 and delivered people of demons. He was serving. Christ was serving. He, he, he did not come to serve. He would take off, he, he, he would take off his garment and, and put a towel on in order to wash the feet of, of his disciples. He came to serve. Mark chapter 10 verse 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We see the Son of God who came to be a servant. Think about this. Doesn't this compel us to also serve one another? That the King of glory, 
who, who received praise from the angels each and every day, looking at him and saying, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory every day. Each and every second, the king of glory will stoop so low to come to earth and to serve. Doesn't that compel us to serve one another? To not seek our own, pridefully seek our own, but to seek the interest of others. So Paul goes on. He says the third characteristic of one who has the mind of Christ is that they have a sacrificial mind. Verse 8. They have a sacrificial mind. Verse 8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul points to the sacrificial attitude of Christ in saying that Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Jesus put aside all, all personal rights and interests in order to ensure the welfare of others. In doing so, he, he gave us his perfect example to follow in his steps. I love how F.B. Mayer gives this illustration. He says he spoke of applying Jesus' pattern of living as a man to our life as, as men and women who are now in him, who are now indulged by the Holy Spirit. He says this. He says, I used to think that God's gift were on shelves one above the other and that the taller one grew as a Christian in Christian character. The, the, the more easily it is to reach those gifts of God. But he says, I now find that God's gifts are on shelves one beneath the other. And that the question is not growing taller, but the question is stooping lower. Stooping lower. And Paul says here, he humbled himself, talking about Christ. Christ stooped lower by becoming obedient even to the point of death. He, he, he was not, his death was not a death of a martyr, of a martyr, if we are to, to put it like that. That's how my mom uh, pronounces it, martyr. Um, his death was not the death of a martyr. It was the death of a savior. He willingly laid down his life for the sins of the world. Willingly, not forced, not compelled, but he laid down his life. The fact that he died, look at, look at what he says, Paul. He says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. He did not die. He did not just die uh, 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 Without a point, he, he humbled himself to death. No one could take his life unless he gave it, right? Just let me digress a bit. Remember when Jesus Christ was, was praying, uh, sweating drops of blood, his disciples were sleeping, and he woke up his disciples, and Judas came with, with the mob, and they came to him, 
and said, he said, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. What did he say? He says, I am. What happened? They backed down and, and bowed on the floor. Jesus Christ possessed all the authority of God. He said, I can call 12,000 legions of angels. He, he gave himself. Even on the cross, no one killed him. It says he gave his breath. Right? The king of glory. Think about it. I'm still repeating this idea. The king of glory who was worshipped, came down, took flesh. John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He dwelt among us. And not only that, he walked among us. Stooped down so much that he subjected himself to weakness, to hunger, to pain. Even went to the cross. He didn't have to do any of those things, but he did. Not only go to the cross, but also to die on the cross. To the point of death. And, and here's the thing. Paul says, even death on a cross. I, I want to make that point very clear. You see, the cross was the worst kind of punishment. Actually, the word, the, 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 the pain on the cross was so excruciating that, that the word excruciating is, is they, they, they could not find they could not find a word to describe uh, the, the, the pain of the cross, the Latin writers, that they chose the word excruciating. The word excruciating means pain out of the cross. When someone says, I exp I'm experiencing excruciating pain, he says, my pain is akin to the pain of the cross. Paul says, even death on a cross. The, the, the cross was a, a, a shameful death. No, a, 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 a Roman citizen was never uh, 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 sacrificed, I mean, on, uh, was never uh, crucified on the cross. It was considered as a shame. And to the Jews, they considered one who hangs on a tree to be what? To be cursed. It was a shame. But Jesus Christ decided to go through that shame, not for himself. He was not a criminal. He was a sinless son of God, right? He was sinless. He had no crime of his own. Even Pontius Pilate looked at him and said, I find no fault in this man. I find no fault in this man. Death on a cross. The shame on the cross. And we don't want to take our precious time and sacrifice it for the believers. That shows that we have not begun to understand what Christ did on the cross for us. We, we haven't begun to wrestle with, with what Christ has done for us. We, we have not begun to understand even an iota of what he has done. At a religious festival in Brazil, a missionary was, was going from booth to booth 
and examining the, the merchandise that they were selling, the, the goods that were selling. And he saw a sign in one of the goods that was, they, they were selling, and the sign said, cheap crosses. Cheap crosses. And he looked at the cross. He, he thought to himself, that's what many Christians are looking for these days. They are looking for cheap crosses. They are looking for cheap crosses. And I want to tell you and submit to you today that the cross of my Lord is not a cheap cross and I'm, going, I'm not going to treat it like a cheap cross. It cost him everything. Fellowship will cost you something. Being a member of a church will cost you something. And I'm not talking about money. I'm not here to tell you to give. If we are going to promote a unity that honors and brings glory to God, it's going to cost us something. It's going to inconvenience us. It is going to cost us something. What on Wesby says this, he says, the person with the, sub, with, 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 with the mind of Christ does not avoid a sacrifice. He, he lives for the glory of God and for the good of others. If, if paying a price will honor Christ and help others, he is willing to do it. The, the, this was Paul's attitude in, 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 second, uh, in, in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. And again, it was Epaphroditus' attitude. I'd like to read about Epaphroditus. Just in verse 30, look at what it says. It says, Paul says in verse 28, but the point is verse 30, I am more eager to send him, um, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Which kind of men do we honor? Look at verse 30. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in, service, in your service to me. He nearly died. Paul says, honor such men. Honor such men who are seeking to serve at all costs. And this is the point that Paul makes at the end of the day, the fourth and final point. The mind of Christ is a mind focused on the glory of God. Focused on the glory of God, verse 9 to verse 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him, Christ, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every time confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this is, of course, the, the great goal of, of all that we do, the, the glory of God. And Paul warns against selfish ambition or, or, or rivalry in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. The, the kind of rivalry that, that pits Christian against Christian or, or ministry against ministry is not spiritual. It is not satisfying. It is, it is vain and it is empty. It dishonors the Lord. Jesus 
humbled himself for others. See that? He humbled himself for others and God highly exalted him. And the result of this exaltation is glory to God. It's the glory of God. Our Lord's exaltation began with his resurrection. When he rose from the dead. When, when men buried the body of Jesus, that was the last thing any human hand did to him. From that point on, it was God who worked. Men had done their worst to the Savior, but God exalted him and honored him. Men gave him names of ridicule and slander, but the Father gave him a glorious name. Just as in his humiliation, when, when he was given the name Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, here we see in his exaltation, he is given the name Lord. When you read this passage, I know a lot of people, when they read this passage, they say God gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, and they think that the name that God gave him that is above every name is the name Jesus. Go to Spain you'll find people called Jesus. Right? Jesus. Their name is Jesus. The name above every name here is this. God gave him about the name above every name that every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ, his name is Lord. <laughs> this is the name that is parallel to the name Yahweh in the Old Testament. Lord, Kuriokon, Lord. So God honored Jesus Christ. As Jesus faced the cross, the glory of the Father was uppermost in his mind. He said in John chapter 17 verse 1, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your name. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. In fact, he has given that glory even to us in John chapter 17 verse 22. And the Bible tells us that one day we will share it with him in heaven. But it says this. I want you to make this point before I conclude. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, will bow, right? And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me make this point. It's either we bow now and confess now that Jesus Christ is Lord or bow later and confess later that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me explain that. When we bow now, we come to him and are welcome into his kingdom. When we bow later, it is, it is over and we cannot be welcomed. He talks about a knee that is bowing in heaven. Talks about the saints that are already in heaven. Talks about a knee that bows on earth. The saints that have not gone to heaven. A knee that bows under the earth. Those who have not come to him, every knee will bow. Even those who are refusing him in this world. When are you going to bow? In Jesus' name. Our Father, thank you. Thank you that you are God and you're in control. And you call us as a church to unity, to look at the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, 
Give us that humility, Lord, to serve one another, to consider each other, to look to the interest of others, that you may be honored in our midst. In Jesus' blessed name I pray. Amen.